heights to the depths of the sea. And then while Jesus is speaking to them on the Temple Mount, the religious leaders, the legalists, the group of fancy pants, comes up to Jesus, dragging this woman, I'm sure it was a sight, dragging her. She's thinking to herself, I am surely done. This is my last day on this earth. Not only have these religious leaders caught me, but now I'm going before Jesus. Uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. Oh, powerful, untamable, awestruck with Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Our scripture today says, Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. They did this as Jesus publicly taught in the temple courts. They wanted to make this as public as possible to embarrass both the woman and Jesus. The religious leaders brought this woman to Jesus in shame-filled, humiliating circumstances. She was held against her will, a prisoner under the custody of the religious police who caught her involved with a man, not her husband, in the very act of adultery. As we read on, we see that Jesus shames those that judge her. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. John's Gospel, Chapter 8. Last week we, we spent a couple weeks in the seventh chapter where Jesus' brothers who initially they didn't believe in Jesus, but a few of them came to Christ. Um, as, as far as we know, many of them, uh, perhaps all of them, I know we know that Jude and James were two Jesus' half-brothers who came to faith in him after his death and resurrection. Uh, Don't know about the other brothers. But remember in uh, John chapter 7 that we looked at, his brothers before uh, Jesus' crucifixion were encouraging Jesus to go up into the temple, up into Jerusalem at the feast time to make himself known, to manifest himself to not only Jerusalem but to everyone in Jerusalem, and thus to the world. But you remember the common refrain that we see in the Gospel of John. It says that his hour had not yet come, or his time was not yet. And there was a time that Jesus would go to Jerusalem, and the sole purpose of going was to die on that cross. Remember, Jesus was not a martyr. Uh, Any religious man who dies for the cause of his religion, we call them a martyr. But Jesus said, I willingly lay down my life for my sheep. And I don't know this morning, did you know that you're a sheep? Yes. All we like sheep, unfortunately, we've all gone astray, but hopefully all of us have come back into the fold, amen? And so, but we are like sheep, and he died for every single person who's willing to put their faith and their trust in his atoning sacrifice on the cross. The only way that we can be right with God is a relationship with the one whom he sent, His very name means God's salvation, which means that there's no other way that we can reach the Father but through him. That's what Jesus said. There's no other way. 
There's no other holy man. There's no other guru. There's no other system on the planet that we can go through to earn our favor. Because if you can earn it, then it's not of grace. But God is a God of grace, and he has concluded all of us under sin. All of us have committed sin. Is there anybody here who is sinless? If you do, raise your hand. (laughs) It would be kind of awkward in a place like this, right? We would all look at you. Just by the fact that you raised your hand, you made yourself a liar, you know? Because we've all sinned, right? And... um, Certainly not proud of that, not happy with that, but I'm so thankful that while we were yet sinners, the scripture tells us, Christ died for us. While we were still yet in our sin, he went to the cross to bear the price that you and I deserve, which is what? Death. Death. And not only, not only physical death, because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, not only physical death, but we, all of us, everyone on line two, all of us in the whole entire world, we deserve not only spiritual death, but we deserve eternal death, which is an eternal damnation. Nobody likes to talk about that today because it doesn't draw visitors. But I'd rather tell the truth and have three people in the pews than to lie to you and tell you that you're good. You're good. You've given enough to the church? Oh, then you're good. Everything's fine. No, it's not fine. There's a big problem. And you and I both know what that is. It's sin. And we see it in the world. We see it messing up everything. We see it in our own lives. Even as Christians, it doesn't make us sinless, but we have an advocate that when we do sin, that we can be forgiven by just trusting the blood of Jesus Christ over us. Isn't that the promise that Jesus made? He says, if you confess your sins, and I, am, I will be faithful to not only to forgive you, but to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Have you done that today? Have you taken him up on that promise? I take him up on that promise all the time. And I think the closer we get to the Lord, the more we realize, you know, Lord, I'm just not all that I thought I was. I thought I was this great thing. I thought I was better than everybody else. You know what? Hopefully all that thought can just leave every one of us. There's not one of us better than the other. But hopefully we've all given our heart to Jesus Christ, the only one who can save us from our sin. There's no other man. Buddha can't do it. Allah can't do it. No Eastern mysticism can do it. There's no crystal that you can rub long enough and fast enough and pray over long enough. There's nothing but Jesus Christ. Amen? So Jesus went up to the Feast of Tabernacles. We saw that in John chapter 7. And there was a lot of confusion about who Jesus was. There were some people who knew a little bit. Some people knew a little bit more. Some people were completely clueless as to who this was that healed this paralytic man. We saw that in John chapter 5. Only God can truly heal. That's something that the devil cannot do. And the devil is not a... He's not omniscient, he's not omnipotent, he's not omnipresent. The Bible says that he is a created being, and God alone is the one who has the power, and he gives that power to whom he wills. So he is a created being. But Jesus goes up to this Feast of Tabernacles, which was really just a commemoration, a moment commemorating God's faithfulness to the Jews as they came out of Egypt when they spent 430 years in Egypt 
And God led them through the Sinai Peninsula, up around, and then finally coming into the Promised Land from the east and going west, crossing the Jordan into the Promised Land. It took them 40 years. It should have only taken them a couple weeks. But it took them 40 years because of their rebellion. And God had to prove them in the desert. And while they were in the desert, God didn't just leave them there. He, he provided for them food and water and shelter. And that's what the Feast of Tabernacles was all about. It was a commemoration of feeding a couple million people in the desert. Think of that. Think of the, the logistics of feeding around 2 million people in the desert And yet God did that. And so the Jews to this day celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. But there was a lot of confusion in Jerusalem. Oh boy. (laughs) And so there was a lot of uh, confusion. Some people thought he was the prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy 18. Some people thought he was Elijah. Some people thought many different things. But who is Jesus? That is the question. Is he the son of God? Is he the sin bearer? Is he the Messiah that the scriptures for hundreds of years had spoken of? Yes, he is. And so Jesus, with all of this confusion, he finally goes up to Jerusalem again and he he starts to turn heads. And we pick up right now in, in chapter 7. And notice what it says. It says, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want... Oop, wrong chapter. You know what? It's on the same side of the page, too. I totally got tripped up. You know, there, have you seen those pastor's bloopers? You know, maybe that'll be on one of them. Open up the chapter 8, and I'm reading from Genesis, you know. So, so after this, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and now early in the morning he came into the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And then those who heard it, notice, Being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And this is the, one of the, the great commands that Jesus could give to us. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Now, when we look at the very last verse of chapter 7, notice it says, And everyone went to his own house. There are um, many 
uh, textual scholars and those who know about these things and study the original manuscripts. Many of them, uh, many of your Bibles, in fact, if you have an NIV or any other Bible, you'll notice that sometimes in the, in the margin of your Bible there'll be something mentioning that this verse 53 of chapter 7 down through chapter, uh, or verse 11 of chapter 8, those 12 verses, are not in the original. And the truth of the matter is, is that they are in some of them, but many of them, this passage that we read this morning is not there. Or it's mixed up and, and, and put in different other places within the Gospel of John. Now, I believe that the scripture is inerrant. I also believe that it is inspired of God. And so we need not worry about these things. In fact, some manuscripts even have a a, a space that is there for this passage and for whatever reason wasn't written in. But it's very peculiar. And yet some manuscripts have it, some don't. But it doesn't really matter because we know that this is something that happened in Jesus' life. In fact, if you remember, at the very end of this book, John says this. He said, this is the disciple which testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they could be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. So this is an inspired passage, and we're going to read it anyway. And it puts a finger on a very important topic in our culture today and in many marriages, and we know that that is adultery. Go back with me at verse 1. Notice that after Jesus is up on the Temple Mount, it says that everyone went to his own home in the last verse there, but in verse 1 of chapter 8, but Jesus, he went to the Mount of Olives. Jesus often went to the Mount of Olives, and there is a place called the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would often retire. You remember on the night that he was taken, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples when Judas and a band of soldiers came to arrest Jesus unlawfully at night with no jury, no due process, and they rushed him into the judgment hall to have him sentenced to death. The same place Jesus would retire again. He would go to the Mount of Olives. And it says, now early in the morning, now this is the very morning after the Feast of Tabernacles, the very next morning. Now the Feast of Tabernacles was one of three feasts that the Jews all around the world would come into Jerusalem at this time. So Jerusalem is still very filled with people. Innumerable, probably two or three million people at the temple this, at this time and around the area. And Jesus goes up early in the morning. He comes to the temple. All the people come to him. And, they sat, and, they, and he sat down and he taught them. And Jesus was very much aware that there were many who wouldn't believe in him. But he continued to preach and he continued to teach. The work of God is like that, isn't it? God calls us to be a fisherman. He's the one who throws the net and he catches men. In fact, didn't he, didn't he say that to his disciples when he first called them? He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Because when a man goes fishing, he has no idea what he's going to catch. You throw that bait over the side, you don't know whether you're going to pull up a, a, a sunfish that's of no good to eat but a lot of fight in it. 
Are you going to catch a trout? Are you going to catch a bass? Are you going to hook a great white shark? You have no idea what you're going to get. But Jesus cast the net. He cast the net. And you're here today because you were caught in his wonderful net. The truth of the gospel was cast out. And some replied, some responded, some said, no thank you. I'm good enough, I can do my own thing and somehow earn my favor with God. If you're thinking that way, you're self-deceived. But the net is thrown out, and aren't you glad you've been caught? I am so glad that I've been caught. I was that guy who had the net all wrapped around my hands and I had seaweed around my head. And the Lord cleaned me up and he pulled me out of the net and he said, I got you, you're mine now. No longer are you a slave to this world. No longer are you a slave to the enemy of your soul, Satan. See, you are either in Christ or you are not. You are either one of his or you belong to the evil one. And you may say, well, I don't belong to either. Oh, yes, you do. You belong to either one of them. If you do not belong to Christ, then you're part of an organization, part of a group of people that have found some other way to make themselves right with God. And there's no other way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. There's no other way. You're either in him or you are not in him. And I pray that every one of you have made that decision already. And if you haven't, today is the day. Do not wait another day. Your life is not certain. You have no idea what tomorrow holds. You don't even know what today holds. When you leave this parking lot today, you have no idea. We have cameras all around this building and inside the building, actually, for security. And I remember one time that I was made aware of, I was made aware that there was a big accident out here. And I reviewed the cameras and I was looking at them. I saw a car go by, ran through the, it was probably going over 100 miles an hour, went right straight through the light hit the embankment, flipped over on its back, went airborne, and we had this all on tape. The car went up like this and skidded down fast past track on its back, right on its hood of the car. And I thought to myself, wow. Any one of us could have been coming out, not even aware. See, that's life, isn't it? Unfortunately, it seems very random. We don't have an opportunity, but right now, And I want to encourage you to make that choice for Christ today. Don't put it off. You have no idea. Those four young cheerleaders from Fairport High School back in 2015, they just graduated and they were on their way to one of the Finger Lakes to enjoy a weekend after graduation. They didn't make it. Remember the fiery crash? All five of them were killed. All five of them. And they had their life ahead of them. Do you know... When your time is up, we don't know. And I'm so glad that I know Christ now because no matter what happens to me, I know where I'm going. Not because of any goodness that I have, but because of his goodness, his righteousness. The blood of Jesus Christ has covered my sin, and I am in him, and he will not take that away. Why? Because he doesn't give things and take them away. When he gives you the gift of salvation, you are surely his. And nothing in heaven above or in earth beneath can pluck you out of his hand. Nothing and no one. Amen? You have to believe that. And you have to understand that. Because if you don't, your life is going to be like a, a roller coaster. Feeling one day, yeah, I feel saved. The next day, oh, I don't feel saved because I messed up. Hey, listen, we all mess up. David messed up. David committed things that none of us in this room have done. And guess where David is? He's in glory with, with Jesus. 
He didn't continue those things. He repented, didn't he? But notice these, these scribes in verse 3, they come and they, Jesus is having this Bible study. Think of this. It'd be like us having a study except a few more thousand people around. And then while Jesus is speaking to them on the Temple Mount, the religious leaders, the legalists, the group of fancy pants comes up to Jesus, dragging this woman, I'm sure it was a sight, dragging her. She's thinking to herself, I am surely done. This is my last day on this earth. Not only have these religious leaders caught me, but now I'm going before Jesus. They brought the woman, they caught her in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, and they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And if she was caught in the act, I want you to read the Bible like this. Where is the man? If she was caught in the very act, where is the man? The Pharisees knew this woman. They probably knew her a little too well. They knew exactly where she was going to be. I almost wonder if they orchestrated this whole thing. Who was this man? Why didn't he come to? Did he get away? Or maybe he was one of the friends of the Pharisees. Maybe he was a Pharisee. Caught in the act. Where was he? My mom says it always takes two to tango. Right? Why is only she being brought? Why does the woman always get the brunt of the stick? Why not the man? But the culture back in this time in Israel, we know, had a greater estimation and respect for men than for women. But the law of God is clear in this matter because God is not a respecter of persons. Meaning he's, he's, not, he does, he, he's not partial to anyone or any group of people. What he says is true, and that applies to everybody, regardless of whether you're a Jew or a Gentile or whatever. But adultery is a sin. She was caught in the very act. Adultery, by the very definition, is voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not their spouse. And within the sin of adultery is also the sin of fornication, because fornication is what? Illicit sexual relations with someone you are not married to. And if either or both of the two parties is married, it is called adultery. And if neither are married, it's just simply called fornication. Doesn't the Bible tell us in Exodus, you shall not commit adultery. This is one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. And there are a lot of statistics. I don't have, um, I, I was tempted to have a bunch of statistics, but the statistics are overwhelming today. Outside of the church and even inside of the church, people are living in adultery. People living together when they're not married. If you are one of those people today, you need to turn from that sin. If you're living with somebody who is not your spouse, you are in sin. And if you're having physical relations with that person, whether you live with them or not, it is fornication. Yes, that's a hard thing for our culture, isn't it? But it's the truth. And it's as bad in the church as it is outside the church. So when is the church going to step up and say, Lord, if I call you my Lord and Savior, why are you not my Lord? I want to call you my Savior, but I don't want you to be Lord of my life. Listen, if he's not Lord of your life, you're not going to have a lot of assurance that he's your Savior either. He may be. That's for him and you to know. But are you living? That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.